Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Periodical Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and as always, I'm joined by Tavis. Hi. And we're excited to bring the heat with another episode for your eager ears. This week, we'll be discussing mergers and acquisitions in the E&P oil and gas industry. It's going to cover the content in this week's periodical that I posted this past Wednesday, September the 2nd. Holy cow, it's already September. But all right, Tavis, take it away. So this is something we're all pretty familiar with. You remember when your parents gave you the talk. When a mommy company loves a daddy company very much. Actually, in the most simple of terms, mergers and acquisitions are the process of two companies becoming one. More specifically, the purpose of a merger or acquisition is to increase the value or accelerate the growth of a business by consolidating companies or assets with an eye towards stimulating growth, gaining competitive advantages, increasing market share, or influencing supply chains. So clearly, overall, you can sum that up with growth. Growth with access to new technologies or intellectual property, a wider customer base through expanded distribution channels or experienced staff, or even a reduction in competition, costs, and overhead. There are a whole lot of benefits to these activities, but downsides can also occur when bringing two companies together under a single roof. There may be a clash in cultures, resources diverted while managing the merger, reduction of staff, or devaluation of assets. While most mergers and acquisitions benefit both companies, there are dangers to such activities. So quickly, let's look at one example. The king of merger and acquisitions, the tech giant Amazon. So over the years, they've, as I'm sure you guys all know, acquired many different companies and consolidated them under one roof, one umbrella, under the Amazon brand. So some of the more successful ones include recently Whole Foods Market, which allowed them to enter the fresh foods market, Zappos Shoes, which expanded their retail business, utilizing Zappos' platform as being actually the leading footwear and apparel website in the world, and then more recently PillPack, which was an effort to expand into the Online kind of prescription business, which was aided by Amazon's extensive delivery network. But anyways, with each of these acquisitions, the company grew into various focus platforms, whether it be e-commerce, cloud computing, digital streaming, even artificial intelligence, and it made it one of the largest and most successful companies in the world. But so how does this really apply to oil and gas? Well, Amazon is definitely a success story with multiple, multiple M&As generating more and more profit, which has soared Amazon's stock price to new heights. I'm sure you've seen that in recent months. That scenario can't really be said for all E&P mergers, though, especially the one made by Occidental Petroleum of Anadarko Petroleum in August of 2019. Since that deal, Occidental has really been put through the ringer by management decisions and poor market conditions. We've talked about this multiple times. But one year later, actually another merger has surfaced, Chevron Corporation's acquisition of Noble Energy. We've also talked about this recently. Since the two acquisitions have many similarities and relate to each other, it's reasonable Occidental's acquisition can be used as a case study to predict Chevron's future fate. And like Kevin said, just like the M&As in the tech world, thinking Amazon, the goal of a merger between E&P oil and gas companies is to grow. Think of Julius Caesar expanding his empire by claiming some new lands. But the targets are quite different. First and foremost, E&P companies are typically seeking physical positioning and an expanded asset portfolio. More specifically, they want further portfolio streamlining, meaning they are often seeking assets similar to what they currently operate. For example, BP is ahead of schedule for its 2019 divestment plan after its acquisition of BHP Billiton's domestic onshore assets. 
After selling its Alaska position and Oklahoma Swoop acreage, its other legacy acreage remains. Basically, companies want assets similar to what has made them successful historically, and will typically divest those that may be foreign to them. Granted, this is not always the case. It is certainly what the EMP sector has been displaying over the past two years. I mean, you look at the bottom, any statement from a CEO or president, and they will always say in an acquisition, long-standing proven reserves that we are excited at to our portfolio. They're just looking for what they know. No, exactly. I mean, and it makes sense. Why? If it ain't broke, right? (laughs) Exactly. You know, you've been developing an area for years and years and years. Why abandon that and go try something else that you really don't have a whole lot of experience in? Granted, when you merge or acquire another company, you're typically going to at least take some of the employees with you. So somewhere within your company, there will be experience. But typically, you know, leadership teams, management teams, you want to stick with what you know. So streamline your portfolio, maybe make it a little bit bigger, expand your acreage, say in the Permian, in the DJ, etc. but stick with what you know. So an important item to note before we really dive into a case study is that when one company takes on another, not only do they assume assets, sometimes employees, they also often take over the debt. So selling foreign or lower tier assets is one strategy for paying down this debt. But the problem with debt is that too much leverage can significantly devalue the stock of a company. That's exactly what we saw with Occidental after they took on loads of debt from Anadarko. And they've really been unable to divest many of these, quote, foreign assets. Now, Kevin just hinted at it, but let's take a deeper look into Occidental Petroleum's acquisition of Anadarko Petroleum to uncover why the deal became a burden to the purchaser just so quickly. From this information, conclusions can be drawn relating to Chevron Corporation and their acquisition of Noble Energy. Little bit of a timeline for you guys. Prior to Occidental's official closing on Anadarko, Chevron was actually a major player in the bidding process. In fact, Chevron was in an agreement to purchase Anadarko before eventually being outbid. When did that happen? May 5th, 2019. Occidental increased the cash component of its $38 billion bid to acquire Anadarko from 50% to 78% cash and the remaining amount stock. Anadarko said, well, I like cold hard liquid cash and the deal was immediately accepted and on May 9th, 2019, Chevron abandoned its pursuit of Anadarko, citing price discipline and Occidental declared victory. Even though the deal was not officially closed until August 8th, 2019, problems began to come up almost immediately. And we do mean immediately. So on that same day that Occidental increased their bid that actually ended up closing the deal, May 5th, 2019, they seemed, seemed as the clear word here, they seem to have clinched a deal to sell Anadarko's Africa assets to Total in the event of an acquisition. But in this process, Occidental planned to take on $13 billion of debt to help finance the deal, and it would be helped with the aforementioned Total agreement for $8.8 billion, which would help cover part of the cash portion Oxy just proposed. But Oxy's ambitious plan to pay off the new debt they took on in addition to Anadarko's existing liabilities has encountered plenty of obstacles within the past year. So not only have they been able to close some asset sales, including its remaining Africa assets, but plummeting crude oil prices has reduced its asset values, making it impossible to achieve the company's financial targets. Because of that, the oil company has had to really shift gears as it works to address its new massive debt problem. As a result, Occidental has a looming problem in the form of a significant amount of debt 
some might even say overwhelming, coming due over the next couple of years. On a positive note, it doesn't technically have any notes maturing in 2020, but holders of its 2036 zero-coupon notes could force the company to redeem them in October, costing as much as $992 million. Now, if you think that's a lot, you better buckle up. Things are going to get worse next year as it has $6.4 billion in notes maturing and an additional $4.7 billion of debt due in 2022. With only $1 billion of cash on its balance sheet, Occidental needs to work fast to address these upcoming debt maturities. So wait, you're telling me that they only have a billion dollars of free cash flow on their balance sheet, and this year they might have to dish out $992 million of that to their stockholders? Uh-huh. And then after that, way, way more. So they're going to get bled dry by the end of the year, and then a little over $10 billion, it looks like eleven coming up in the next two years. All right, well, hold up. Before we continue, I want to share how extreme this debt load really is. And the easiest way to get a better picture of that is actually investigating Oxy's debt-to-equity ratio prior to the acquisition, immediately after the acquisition, and then in 2020 after crude prices crashed, which we've talked about plenty of times. So before their acquisition, Oxy had a debt-to-equity ratio of 0.51, which means their assets were twice as valuable as their debt. Not a bad position to be in, right? Not at all. After the acquisition, when they assumed all of Anadarko's assets and liabilities, that ratio climbed to 1.19, meaning the debt being carried was more valuable than the value of the assets. Now, it's important to note, this type of leverage, it's still acceptable as long as you're able to generate enough cash flow to make payments on the debt. But after March of 2020, when the price crashed, Oxy carried a debt to equity ratio of 1.17. So... Problem was, Oxy ended up quadrupling their debt to $48.26 billion in the deal, and then the price slump devalued their assets by $6.6 billion. So basically, as their debt-to-equity ratio skyrocketed, their stock value tanked. Ever since, Oxy has been desperately trying to get rid of their assets, restructure, and reduce CapEx to stay afloat. Chief Executive Vicky Holub identified that the most likely sale prospect to divest are Anadarko's offshore assets in the Gulf of Mexico, its pipeline business, and its African assets. Why? Well, Occidental had limited exposure to these areas before the acquisition, and thus many are quite literally foreign assets. But, unfortunately, most of the divestiture deals have fallen through. On a brighter note, Oxy recently agreed to sell Wyoming, Utah, and Colorado land-grant assets to Orion Mine Finance for... $1.3 billion. Yay. <laughs> but down the road, the acquisition's success will ultimately depend on how quickly Occidental can sell off some of Anadarko's assets and focus on optimizing and integrating what it keeps to prepare for paying off bonds due over the next two years. Because that $1.3 billion is going to dry up immediately once we hit 2021. Well, it seems like this is more market-based than anything. No, of course. You highlighted it. They were doing okay before with a 1.19 debt-to-equity ratio, but then as soon as prices tanked, it jumped to 1.7. Granted, 1.19 is not great, but like I said, you can still keep your head above water, but it it also kind of just seems like they paid too much. When you go from 0.5 to 1.19, I mean, part of that is that cash component that they had to pay out. So that's a huge chunk of change that kind of got converted and it just got intense in a bidding war, and it kind of 
they got left with their pants around their ankles. It almost <laughs> exactly. Like. I can't wait to compare it to the Chevron Noble deal because, like you said, it's so market based. Ah, I won't spoil anything for the listeners, but at least they are able to sell some stuff off. Like you said, they're looking for that much needed cash. They don't know anything about Africa. They don't know anything about the Gulf of Mexico. They say, "F it, sell it, put it in the book, put it in their pocket, some cash." Yeah, but the problem is, it looks like most of those Africa assets are going to be staying on their books because. Well, no one really wants to pick them up, especially in this price environment. I don't really blame anybody. Even if you gave them the property for free, they still have to assume liability for some of that stuff. So this is a tough situation for Oxy to be in. So clearly the Oxy and Adarko acquisition has been a little bit of a bumpy, rocky road, and it is currently difficult to label it as a success story for the time being. We'll see in a few years from now, but almost exactly a year. Almost exactly. Chevron decided not to pursue the Anadarko purchase. It decided to acquire another major shale player, Noble Energy. You may have heard of them. On July 20th, 2020, Chevron Corporation announced that it has entered into a definitive agreement with Noble Energy to acquire all the outstanding shares of Noble Energy in an all-stock transaction valued at $5 billion. Wow, that is a whole lot less than what we were just talking about in terms of Occidental Anadarko. As with most M&As in the oil and gas industry, the list price does come with a lot of debt. With Chevron assuming all of Noble's debt, the total enterprise value of the deal is $13 billion. This deal has not officially closed, but still, $13 billion? I mean, yeah. Thinking that Chevron almost paid, what was it, $33 billion for Anadarko? I think it was even something in the neighborhood of over $50 billion after debt. Yeah, it was absurd. So this... I mean, just at face value, already seems like a smoking deal, but Way hold up. better. Hold up. Remember when Anadarko backed out of the deal with Chevron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. So part of breaking that agreement, Anadarko actually had to pay Chevron a $1 billion breakup fee for backing out of that initial deal. A billion dollars. Cha-ching. So that's quite a bit of extra cost added to the price tag Oxy had to pay for Anadarko. And in addition... It generated revenue for Chevron to spend on an acquisition on another company, i.e. Noble, a company with far less debt. Granted, while Anadarko's valuable holdings in the Permian Basin of West Texas and New Mexico appeared to be a good match, Chevron said at the time that it favored price discipline over winning at any cost. Well, Chevron held out and they found a better deal that appears to fit their portfolio without damaging their bottom line. So with this acquisition of Noble's low-cost proven reserves, kind of like Tavis was talking about earlier, in addition to their cash-generating offshore assets in Israel, the move really strengthens the company's position in the Mediterranean, but Noble's portfolio will also add to Chevron's U.S. acreage in both the Permian Basin and in Colorado's DJ Basin, kind of in our backyard here. This is where things get interesting. Even though Chevron's total debt increased by $7 billion to $30.3 billion after the acquisition, they're still poised to be successful and profitable after this asset acquisition. This feels like a TNT soap drama to me. I love it. It's crazy how they owed a million dollars, a billion, I'm sorry, a billion for backing out of the deal. So they paid that money to Chevron and then Occidental acquired that debt from the billion. And the comment Chevron said it favored discipline over, quote, winning at any cost. Oh, it's so catty. Yeah. It's so much. What is, is this high school? Is this high school drama? I love it. <laughs> This is the thing. Although this still seems like a large amount of debt for Chevron to acquire, 
the size and asset base of the super major will keep the debt to equity ratio strong. How strong? Well, before the acquisition, Chevron maintained a cool 0.16 debt to equity ratio that climbed to 0.23 immediately after the purchase. Now, Chevron has written down assets since the acquisition as a result of depressed oil prices, which has caused that ratio to climb to 0.25. Still not bad, though. No. I mean, think before Oxy even acquired Anadarko, what was their debt to equity? 0.51? Higher, over double what Chevron has now climbed to as a result of market conditions and buying a whole-ass company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just... It, the painting seems to be on the wall here. It just seems like a smoking good deal that really Chevron walked away the winner, and I'm sorry, but Occidental appears to have walked away the loser. Definitely hurts their pride right now. An ideal acquisition would maintain or even lower such a ratio, but it does not impact the company's leverage the same way as Oxy because 0.25 just doesn't compare to anything else over one like Occidental. As a result... Chevron's stock valuation has remained relatively unchanged, and in the coming months, Chevron will likely choose to sell off some of the noble assets that are not aligned with their current expertise and free up some cash. Along with the additional $1 billion on hand from the failed Anadarko agreement, Chevron seems to have their debt under control and is still positioned to be successful far into the future. It's kind of like poker. Sometimes you just get lucky, but you still need to know what you're doing to have a seat at that table, you know? Exactly. I mean, Chevron knew that they had to fold. They didn't know what Oxy had, but once you see that price skyrocket, they said, okay. Like they said, we're not going to win at any cost. Yeah, they really played their cards right. They played it smart, and hey, paid out for them. So... Let's talk about both these acquisitions discussed above, as well as some of the other ones we've seen in 2019. I would say 2020, but due to this price crash, there really haven't been many discussed, so I'm just going to look at 2019. What we're really seeing here is what I kind of notice as a consolidation mindset. Now, granted, Chevron has diversified their asset portfolio with Noble's Mediterranean assets, but... It also focused on increasing their presence in the Permian and DJ Basins, which is that consolidating mindset. Oxy has eliminated many assets like Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, I mean, even Africa, to focus on their core assets in the Permian. Again, consolidating. Uh, another thing we talked about was BP. They sold their Alaska and Oklahoma swoop assets to consolidate on you know, their core, core acreage. Consolidating. Again, what we're seeing is the fact that these mergers can bring about efficiencies that really can allocate spending across larger but consolidated portfolio of shale assets as opposed to typically kind of the patchwork we've seen more common in the oil field. You know, we're working here in Texas, we're working in Oklahoma, we're working out in Pennsylvania. It's just that patchwork we're kind of seeing going away and really just trying to consolidate on historic, successful core assets. And I wish we could sit here and make predictions on who will acquire who next, but these one-off deals are hard to predict by their very nature, especially with rumors and speculations abound. But one prediction for the future can be sure. Smaller companies will abandon spreading themselves too thin across basins and asset types to focus on consolidating their business model for success moving into the rocky future. So, the Occidental acquisition it was, at this point, a failure. I mean, they piled on debt, they were unable to divest inexperienced assets, and their, really that over-leveraged debt eventually crushed them with the untimely price crash. I mean, watch their stock value just tank. Now, this Chevron Noble deal, probably going to be a lot more successful. Why? 
Chevron's size maintains a solid debt-to-equity ratio while continuing a steady expansion on their existing asset portfolio. So we're not financial analysts here or fortune tellers, but we're only engineers and we're looking at patterns. And what we see is that success comes by paying off debt to fix a weak bottom line. I mean, oil prices are going to fluctuate. They always have, they always will. So you can't plan on high oil prices for a bailout. With these high oil prices, you're going to increase your cash flow. But when crude inevitably goes back down, your asset values are going to crater. What happens with the debt? It's still going to be there. It's going to remain unchanged. A focus on acquiring key core assets through mergers may be the new direction of the major and large independents. They continue to divest their non-core international assets to streamline their portfolios. That actually might be when the smaller companies who are really eager to find their next core asset You might be able to adapt more quickly, and that could mean picking up those divestitures that Tavis was just talking about by these larger corporations. Either way, the era of continuously leveraging debt to pay for capital development for E&P companies has come to an end. For the near term, a focus on the balance sheet will be a major driver for any company planning mergers and acquisitions. But that is a wrap. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If not, make sure to leave us those comments on whatever platform you're listening through. We would love to hear from you, and you can even contact us directly to correct our mistakes, chew us out for, I don't know, hurting your feelings, anything. Let us know, podcast at rarepetro.com. And I have run out of ideas on different languages to sign off with. So if you have suggestions on those, you know, shoot us an email, leave us some comments, give us your suggestions. Hey, give us suggestions on future episodes, you know. Uh, Every week we try and come up with new and exciting content, but if you guys got an idea for us, definitely leave a comment, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. So until we see you next time, take care, everybody. See ya.